podcast within a podcast pottering around the magical eye that started sticking after being worn by Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who also do not want to set our buttocks on fire. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? In a great mood after a delightful chapter, Sarah. <laughs> I am under my own power, floating a glass of water, and much happier being there. <laughs> um, so we are on chapter three, right? Three of Harry Potter... Yep. And the Order of the Phoenix, the Advance Guard. Um, and we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap, uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, we award house points, and then there are questions and queries and qualms and quibbles. Um, although in this most transitioner, transitionary of chapters, I can't imagine what you would have questions about. Um <laughs> It's eight pages, things happen, and at one point, one of the characters just lists out all the questions that will be answered at <laughs> some later point. Yeah, it's like they were preparing for you all in the first place. <laughs> um, well, are we ready to jump into our segments? Uh, assuming you're ready for the recap, Sarah, your long, your, your beloved recap you've been doing so well on for the last two chapters. Are you going to make a bet this time around? Are you going to be risky? Do you have an idea? I am going to make a bet, and I am going to risk it, because this is a chapter in which not much happens. So it is, to my sure and certain knowledge, a short recap, which are the ones that, in fact, generally trip me up on guessing how long they're going to take. Overconfidence. I like it. Let's do uh, it. Okay. Well, how far under two minutes are I'm going actually for? going for a minute 30. Oh, I wow. It has been a while since we had one that Yeah, low. I thought I'd, I'd, I'd come in hot. We have had a little bit of a break in our recording, although our listeners will not know that because these will come out on a schedule. <laughs> Nevertheless. Well, you've got a range between 125 and 135 to get it in then. Whenever you're ready. Uh Harry launches a letter-writing campaign explaining what happened to Sirius, Ron, and Hermione before settling in for an angsty, anxiety-ridden stew about the unfairness of it all. He's even mean to Hedwig. He exiles himself to his room for three days, waiting for a response. Finally, the Dursleys tell them they're going out, and Harry's left alone in the empty house. Then a crash in the kitchen sends him hurtling down the stairs. Standing in the hall are Moody, the real one, Lupin, and several other unknown witches and wizards, the advance guard. Moody's in charge of the mission, and he is actually exactly like Barty Crouch's portrayal of him. The plan was to lure the Dursleys out to the all-England best-kept suburban lawn competition and squirrel Harry away to an undetectable headquarters. While waiting for the signal, Harry officially meets Moody, Nymphadora Tonks, Kingsley Shacklebolt, Elpheus Dodge, Daedalus Diggle, Emmeline Vance, Sturgis Podmore, and Hestia Jones. Uh, Moody spends the time trying to clean out his magical eye while Tonks marvels at Petunia's cleaning habits. They pick, pack up Harry's things and Tonks reveals herself as a metamorphagus by changing her hair at will. She's also an R, and both of these distinctions are deeply impressive to Harry. They troop out to the garden. Moody pops a disillusionment charm on Harry to keep him blended into his surroundings during the journey, and then gives the very dire instructions on what to do if someone is killed. The first signal comes, they mount their brooms, and at the second signal, they take off. Harry's troubles temporarily melt away in the joy of flying. They dodge muggles in towns and motorways before descending into a strange, seedy suburb. Moody deluminates the street lamps as they approach a building block, and then hands Harry a sheet of paper telling him to memorize it quickly. In familiar hand writing is uh the headquarters of the order of the phoenix may be found at number 12 grimald place london 13150 well Ooh. done sir 
All right. I will Next. say that there, uh, there are a lot of um, both proper. There, there are a lot of proper nouns in this chapter <laughs> that will trip you up very quickly. Um, but speaking of proper nouns and other pieces of uh, grammatical errata, um, BJ, what are you wheezing about? Um, I mean, this chapter is a little tough. There isn't, in some ways, not a whole lot to, to wheeze about. In some ways, there's a whole lot, but you covered a lot of them. There were some very entertaining names. Um, I also know, and I'm somewhat confused by uh, Tonks being a fan favorite. Um, yes, the fans and love Tonks. Yeah, I can see so that. There's something about the purple hair, maybe, that people just go wild about, and I, you know, we'll see where this goes. Um, we I think we get a fair amount fun. of Tonks going forward um, that I think will flesh f- flesh this out a little bit. Gotcha. Um, so if I just referred to her as Nymphadora for the rest of time, I can always piss off Harry Potter fans. Is that the uh, I, that's a good question. I don't know if the fans themselves have quite the violent reaction that she does to <laughs> being called her Christian name. Um, Daedalus Diggle is kind of uh, an interesting uh, sort of group of, of, of names, maybe. <laughs> uh, Daedalus being a fascinating pull from, from uh, mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if that, that holds any significance. Um, and w- but yeah. Harry did in fact meet him before we have met Daedalus Diggle before as well I wanted uh, to ask about that when exactly? Uh, he was in the when uh, Hagrid first took Harry to Diagon Alley mm-hmm. he was in the pub and introduced himself very excitedly to um, several times I think to Harry over something. the course of yeah. um, their stay there so like the first book, like two years ago, of recording yep. for us. Uh, okay. Correct. That was a More pin that, you didn't Spencer. know you needed to put a red string on, Spencer. I, I haven't put it back up on my wall yet. Apparently, I need to. <laughs> um, we're on book four, so more than two years, Spencer. Just, just for your. We're on uh, book five. Flies when you're having fun. Um, I did not highlight this, unfortunately, but it's Anamorphomagus. Metamorph. Metamorph. Metamorphagus. Yeah. Um. Metamorph Magus. So there are some times that, that, that these things are very entertaining, and there are some times that these are hilariously lazy. <laughs> like, that's just what it yeah, is. Yeah, welcome to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. <laughs> so I, I just, I get curious every so often if uh, J.K. Rowling's a fan of German, because some of her spells just seem like a, well, this is how they would do it in German, so <laughs> why not? Which one are you Makes thinking about specifically? What? Which one are you thinking about specifically? This one. Oh, the the Metamorphagus? Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, I mean, I think that there are a couple of others that were this way. I can't think of them offhand, but some of the other spells that are just like, it just describes what they do. Yes. Um, and we're going to just make it a <laughs> word. Yeah. Um, I think some of the, like, uh, like, binding hands or feet or something charms or curses maybe mm-hmm. um i'm trying to well remember their names offhand and they're just not coming no. it's been a while since those that's fair mm. um the other thing that i find hilarious is they're like i i feel like at this point and i just don't know what the timeline is this was already starting to be movies and mm-hmm. so this broom scene mm-hmm. 
was written to be in a movie without any thought about what is reasonable in the world. And I'm sort of curious to see what happens, like if this is a theme going forward, mm-hmm. because they're, they're on brooms, they can go up as high as they want to a certain extent. And if you go high enough, you're not gonna be seen in a village. And they're like, oh, we can just go up another quarter of a mile. Let's do that after we whiz around right above people's heads for a while because it makes for a really good movie scene. To be fair, she managed to do that with the um, in the second book before the movie started coming out with the um, flying Ford Anglia as well. So right. I, I don't know. It's a little chicken and egg, I think. But I feel like with the flying Ford Anglia, the kids might not have been as comfortable like and that's for, yeah. the foresight and forethought where like we're essentially getting like SEAL Team Six of the <laughs> the Wizarding World or I'm just gonna guess that that's what Order of the Phoenix kind of is. And Seems like it. They're uh, about as in, as competent as uh, um, the Get Smart group. Um, so <laughs> when wizards start operating anywhere near the Muggle world, things get difficult um i just you know keep expecting a cone cone of silence to come down (laughs) so they can have their private conversations um but yeah i mean an entertaining chapter and also the the interaction of tonks uh at i think it's or no somebody else uh admiring how clean everything was oh no it was tonks That yeah, was Tonks. Okay. She, she wasn't admiring. She seemed she seemed to feel like she didn't enjoy it. She went back to the mess of Harry's room. Was like, by it. Yeah, she was place. mildly unnerved by it. I think. Yeah. Um, I felt I felt very at home with those comments. <laughs> like, no, no, certain number of socks need to be scattered at all times. I'm not comfortable. I'm well aware. <laughs> well, shall, shall I go on to uh, Nibby's notes? Uh, yeah, let's. See I that. just want to highlight uh, one more wheeze that is okay. actually. It is present in this chapter, and I'm just very excited about it. It becomes more prominent in the next chapter, but the name of the place that they have arrived at is Grimold Place. If we think back to our conversations about Diagon Alley and Nocturne Alley, yes, we are now mm-hmm. at Grim Old Place. Yes. And we get to explore it in the next it chapter, and let me say, <laughs> it fits. <laughs> Looking forward to that, definitely. <laughs> well, our chapter basically opens with Harry just summarizing every question that I had following the last <laughs> chapter of where, what was that? How did they find me? Why are they here? What is happening? Why is no one calling me? It's like, yes, Harry, those are all the questions. Thank you for listing them out very neatly. I'm reminded now. But I appreciate, every now and then I appreciate a, when a character is just self-aware of where none of this makes sense and I'm flying by the seat of my <laughs> pants. And Harry is conjuring that right now. I mean, but, like, that's that's Harry's M.O. Yeah, it, but it's good for him to be self-aware of it every now and then. Sure. Fair enough. Uh, in, t- in terms of funny visuals, um, Harry's owl with a frog in its mouth just diligently pecking at people to make sure they've got a sufficient number of words in the letter that they now have to send back to Harry <laughs> just tickles me. It's like, it's just watching the word count level at the bottom of the screen. It's like, nope, yeah, minimum of 600. I shall pop. Poke you while I eat this frog. Little did you know that there was a um, Harry Potter Mandalorian crossover between Hedwig and Baby Yoda eating frogs. (laughs) This is the buddy cop crossover we never knew we needed. Yeah, I never realized that. I now desperately want to see Baby Yoda riding Hedwig. (laughs) A fun moment. 
Or fighting over a frog. More likely. <laughs> that too. I mean, we, we're pretty sure that, that he's got a force choke in him, and I see that this would be, like, mm. the perfect perfect application of it that, that J.K. Rowling would probably be okay with, given how things go in these, these books for, for Hedwig and other non-human creatures. What if it's hard to force choke an owl with a whole spinning head thing? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's weird to think that Harry has never really interacted with Moody. The, the real Moody. Mm-hmm. The, is, is this like the literal... They we, briefly met. They had yes. like a couple of words. Or we got a couple of words from Moody. I think directed at Dumbledore, not even directed at Harry at the end of the last book. Yeah. Yeah. We, like we, saw, we saw, he saw Moody at the bottom of that trunk pit mm-hmm. that he was in. And then they briefly interacted for another half second later when he confirmed he was like still alive. But that's kind of it, which is just fascinating given how much of a major character... Moody was in the last mm-hmm. book. And Sarah, as you noted, this chapter just proves that Barty Crouch... It's Barty Crouch. Yeah, Barty right? Crouch Jr. Is the single greatest actor of his generation. Just like, it's perfect. Barty Crouch Jr., the Daniel Day-Lewis of the Wizarding World. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the amount of method acting mm-hmm. that clearly went into this, because he essentially, he played a good guy well enough that he did a lot of good things... Playing the good guy, like mm-hmm. yeah, what? Yep. Did, did he did he lose track of himself at a certain point in that role because he was playing Moody better than Moody's playing Moody in this chapter? Yeah, he he might have gone a little bit down the rabbit hole. I mean, Moody uh, doesn't seem to actually be constantly vigilant, so who knows? <laughs> that, Moody <laughs> might still be convalescing from his year long journey in a <laughs> trunk pit. He, he, he he is living the constant vigilance to the point that his you know he's needing to sufficiently grease his eyes so that he can have constant vigilance. He doesn't feel the need to express it right now. <laughs> uh, in terms of other character returns, I did not fully expect how happy I would be to have Lupin back. It just warms the heart to have that just shabby shabby nice wizard of a man back in back in our story. Unfortunately, looking shabbier by the minute, it seems. Yeah, this guy needs his Mac to support network. Leaving him alone in the world removed from the university has apparently had even more disastrous level of effect on his health and overall, you know, kemptedness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and surrounding him are a collection of just, well, I'm guessing this is the Order of the Phoenix. We've met, we've, we've met the, the namesake of the book. And they just come across as like a collection of awesome McCool names. <laughs> They're Aurors. We first meet a uh, hot, hot, fun, hot, clumsy punk witch. Uh, who is named Nymphodora Tonks, which is a hell of a mm-hmm. name. She's a metamorphagus, as you said. She knows the muggle world better than almost any other wizard we've yet met in the series, to the point that she can actually successfully manipulate the Dursleys through something that was, you know, like, legitimate that would get the Dursleys out of the house. I, but pause for a second. Is that the most Dursley-ish thing we've ever heard of? The best-kept suburban best lawn something-something? Pretty much. It's perfect. I mean, it's again a testament to Tonks that that's almost just parody level of perfect for the Dursleys. But also something that they definitely don't succeed at. They had aspirations, clearly. Yes. Like, this is something that, like, it's only in their heads that they would be good at this. Like, their lawn is probably a completely blank lawn that's not mowed particularly well because Harry doesn't care. <laughs> It, it, there's also a lot of like just hairy-shaped holes in their hedges where <laughs> Harry just keeps hiding and falling into them, too. So that can't help things That's either. true. And when your windowsills are as banged up by Harry's head as theirs apparently are. Yes. 
I think you would call that topiary, though. <laughs> it's also just really funny for me how these characters are introduced. Of where I almost just feel like a giant spotlight is just shifting around the room to focus on each neck, each awesome person. Like you know, it says, "And now beating Kingsley Shacklebolt," and it just the camera turns and he's just there posing mm-hmm. for his moment. Is that Tonks's music I hear? <laughs> it is very much that, yes. Uh, but it, so you listed all the names. They're great. I'd be very curious to meet all, meet more of these people. And it feels like that there's some actual intention to characterize at least a few of them going forward. So I will like that. Yeah, too. not all of them because it is a lot. But a um, lot. we do get to get some sort of deeper relationships with a, with a couple of them. We, we've talked before about the explicit relationship or similarities between a wand and a gun. And having them all talk about, don't put a loaded wand just in the back of your pants. What are you thinking? You'll blow your ass off. It's very much leaving me to ponder, are there wand holsters in the wizarding world? Are there, like, you know, some kind of safe pouch under your hip that you can keep them in to avoid that particular issue? Are there many wands that you can, you know, hide up the sleeve of your robe and, like, you know, pop out at, at an opportune moment? <laughs> like a and little lady's derringer? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, actually, yes, because um, Lucius Malfoy keeps his wand in his walking stick and can pull it out at any... The handle of his wand is the handle of his walking stick. Oh, so a, a sword cane. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's nice. Uh, Tonks is appropriately messy. I very much, very much appreciate that and her utter discomfort at the cleanliness of the muggle world. As much as she knows about the muggle, she assumed that her dad, I guess, was a perfect guide to their level of just tolerance of mess. <laughs> Yeah. It's not rep- not proving accurate. Well, to be fair, she is uh, in an abnormal situation in Petunia's kitchen, even within the fair. muggle world. When, when Harry's not, you know, levitating various bits of food to then collapse on ants to the floor, or actually that was Dobby, you shouldn't blame <laughs> Harry for that. Perfectly clean. Uh, BJ's, you noted, the spells here in this chapter, I don't know if Tonks is using shorthand or if these are just very functional spells that she's using, of where, like, when she wants to pack the room, she literally just yells, pack. And the room packs. There was actually recently a uh, discussion on the Harry Potter subreddit about this particular spell and trying to figure out if there were any other spells in world that were just the English word of what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a couple. I don't read now. I don't. I wish I had gone back and looked at the discussion, but they are few and far between. And I don't. I don't frequently give you credit for the things you say on this podcast, BJ, but. It does. This one does feel lazy. <laughs> I mean, she uses three ones that we've never heard before in just like a two paragraph segment. The first is pack, which caught me mm-hmm. off guard. Second one, when he she uh, cleans Hedwig Cage is scourgeify, mm-hmm. which there's at least a little bit more effort attached to that one. And then locomotor trunk. Was that a spell? That was a spell that she was casting. On yeah, the trunk, I think right? that the yeah. locomotor part is actually the spell. And then the object of the like spell when Harry learned Accio in the last book, and he would say things like Accio broom, gotcha. works the same way. Okay, yeah. And I mean, then... they, so she does use uh, italics at least in the Kindle version for magical things and spells, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I think that tracks. Um, I have a theory uh, which won't go anywhere, so it you know <laughs> doesn't really matter. Um, which is that with like, and we've talked about this before that spells are a, you know, saying the words with them, like don't matter. 
It's sort of right. the intention that you mm-hmm. put behind them. And so I would guess that in like the next 20, 30, 50 years or whatever, all spells taught at Hogwarts will be in English or like it'll be that transition. <laughs> kind, of, kind of like how, how all science publications were in German until all science publications were in English. Sure. And is, is the Catholic Church now no longer going to be proselytizing in Latin kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Local languages. Uh, we, have we also ever seen the disillusionment charm before? Or is that, that no, a new this one is on a new too? one. That's new too. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of new spells in this chapter. Yeah. And it's uh, also an interesting choice because that's another essentially English yeah. word. But it, it, this see, this feels like the right place for like something to do with chameleon or, or something like that. And again, mm-hmm. this sort of seems like a this chapter was, was a, a hurried one. <laughs> Um, to get from point A to point B kind of thing rather than A. And I don't know, not as much uh, effort was put into the magic here. It also has a little bit, though, I think there is a reading of it where, you know, we have seen so much magic up to this point only within the context of Hogwarts, which is like in an academic setting and you're sort of learning the specifics of the rules and kind of by the book and things like that. And Every time we get magic outside of Hogwarts, there's a little bit more of the kind of expediency of necessity to the magic being used. Yeah. Like I feel like we, I feel like we got that at the Burrow too, with, um, you know, with Mrs. Weasley doing her thing and things like that. That maybe mm-hmm. there's a difference between academic magic and how you actually use magic out in the world. I mean, so, is this a those who can't teach except Dumbledore? Possibly. <laughs> but it, it very could be the kind of thing of where Harry's essentially learned to do magic by holding his hands at 10 and 2, mm-hmm. and now he's learning to dri- drive by his own terms, by seeing other people in the real world do it. <laughs> With his knees and a cup of coffee in his hands. Yes, that is what this chapter is. Okay. I, I imagine it's a little bit more Fast and the Furious, like, stare at other people and go full force, full bore forward, <laughs> rather than... Less suburban mom no in a minivan. There's no for him to be doing the insane things that he's doing but it's harry so he does fair enough yeah i mean i mean there's some moments of very much feel like that where we before they take off moody basically just goes through the list of okay if half of us die the other half do this if all of us die harry you do Mm -hmm. this it's very much a soldier preparing for war scenario that even the other guys that are there are looking at him like dude can you not talk about that right now please nobody's gonna die (laughs) like we're gonna be fine right right but it, it does remind us that, from a certain standpoint, they are at war now. Yeah. They are back on a war footing in a way that the older generation is actively familiar at, and the younger generation is kind of trying to play catch-up mm-hmm. with. Uh, in terms of returning magical artifacts, I did not expect the put-outer would be back. Yeah, the deluminator, the, yeah. Yep. It was referred to as a deluminator or a put-outer at various moments. It is, is the deluminator the official term? I think term? so, yes. Okay. I was also not expecting that to apparently be a unique magical artifact it is. either. That yep. uh, it's not like you can buy these in the corner store. He had to borrow it from Dumbledore for the sake of this Put mission. Put it in the this category does... of the Marauders map. Yeah, apparently I, this does really feel like a Weasley Wizards Weasley thing that got confiscated. <laughs> uh, maybe like a previous generation <laughs> that Dumbledore is like, holy, no, this is useful. And also hilarious, I'm going to keep this. I 100% think that Dumbledore just goes and rummages around in Argus Filch's drawers of confiscated things (laughs) and helps himself to what he wants. The good stuff. 
Well, in terms of the good stuff, Sarah, who won and who lost this chapter? This is a little bit of a weird one for winning and losing here. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there is a a reasonable case for to be made for Harry winning this chapter because he is out of the Dursleys. He is among witches and wizards again. It seems like he is being taken to the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix, which is, in fact, what he was bitching about not being able to do earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We get so... A- after the first part of the chapter... My hesitancy on this, honestly, is because after the first part of the chapter, we get so little of his internal emotional state. It's difficult to yeah. know kind of where he lands at the end of it. Um Although he did have that moment of like real joy when he was flying, um, yeah. which I th- I think is an indicator of kind of where he is. Where I'm gonna he have to now. put forward Tonks, okay? Um, because she successfully manipulates the Dursleys in a way that uh, perfect. Also true. It is yes. pretty perfect. Also impresses probably the most famous wizard in all of Wizarding World with her hair change. <laughs> Uh uh-huh um i mean for an entrance this is i mean goofy (laughs) but like a one of the better like in world entrances that we've had that's true i I buy that okay i buy that spencer do you have anyone you'd like to put forward as winner i think those kind of have to be the nominees really i mean we're i think I think from an emotional state, Harry definitely had the biggest improvement. Mm-hmm. It's more just we just kind of all suddenly now realize that Tonks is in the world and she is also. And maybe we won. Like a, <laughs> yes. We, we won, won with the Tonks is now Tonks. part of the story. <laughs> well, if we are going to declare Tonks the winner, which I am perfectly happy to do, then I would actually then like to take as loser, um, although this happens off screen and we have had different rules about whether this counts mm-hmm. or not, um, but the Dursleys seem to have fallen from very high highs to the non-existence of the competition they thought they were in the running for. They're not even going to get like the buffet dinner attached to it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that the Dursleys are going to come home extremely irritated and then Harry's gone which, while they don't want Harry in the house, you know, it's Harry also not like... Harry is oh. better than Harry loose. Correct. Well, and, I mean, all these points are perfect. I very much agree that Dursley's losers. I'll even add on to that that Lupin left them a note, which is probably going to piss them off even more. Absolutely. A werewolf left them a note? Yes. <laughs> Actually, um, would Petunian... Would Petunia know Lupin, or at least have a vague idea of him, given Lupin hanged around with people that Petunia apparently knew? She might have. She might have heard of him at some point, you know, through Lily, because Lily would have been friends with Lupin as well, given how close a friend he was with James. So yeah, she mm-hmm. might know the name. She might recognize the name. And we yeah, have been learning all of- kinds of things. Well, mm. we haven't been learning much, but we have been given a lot of indications that Petunia knows a lot Lots more about this whole world than one would have suspected. Yes. You, you also remind me of a, a surprisingly powerful little moment in the chapter was when all the, all the members of the Order of the Phoenix, I'm assuming this is a significant portion of them, are all staring at Harry and they're commenting on Lily and James and how much Harry looks mm-hmm. like them and mm-hmm. what aspects of them do. That, that was a surprising, that, that was a, a, a powerful and effective moment of seeing the history that is still resonating with these people about them and how Harry connects mm-hmm. into that. Yeah, it's still very I think much that's present. something to add to your wall. 
um, of of uh, red yarn strings um, okay. because I think it will will help uh, clarify certain certain things up there. Okay, I don't know exactly what I'm putting yarn up on the wall for, but I will put it up. <laughs> the the knowledge that Harry looks a lot like his father, but there are are distinct aspects of his mother in him as well. Yeah, we've okay. gotten a few mentions of um, Harry having Lily's eyes before, but not mm-hmm. in like such a concentrated conversation yeah. of multiple people standing around and literally just having speculations on how he has embodied both of his parents. Yeah. So, um, questions. I, I want to add in a uh, a segment that we've sort of had in the past, okay. but that hasn't really had a name, uh, which is... Um, a a Hedwig watch. Um, ah. Do, 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 Harry do. Potter yeah. <laughs> has a good chapter when Hedwig is around, and we continue this. Uh, even though Hedwig isn't around when the good things happen, we have a chapter that has Hedwig in it. Um, maybe Harry is slightly mistreating Hedwig, but Harry then has a good chapter. Correct. And, and- and notably, his worst moment is after he mistreats Hedwig and sends Hedwig away, when Hedwig's not present, Harry has a bad series yes. of days. And he does, while he should not mistreat Hedwig, he does feel immediately guilty about it. So that's something, yeah. I suppose. He, improvements. Yes. He's um, improving. Questions? Do, did we see the cat door installed previously? Or is this a new description of how they deliver dinner to Harry? No, we did see it installed. We did see it previously because um, Petunia kept pushing cold soup through it in the second book. Gotcha. This is very reminiscent of a lot of like prison uh, Mm -hmm. depictions, which kind of fits. Yeah. It is interesting that in this case, they are still using the cat flap, but Harry is not actually imprisoned in there. He has just decided... He doesn't need to socialize with anyone, which is interesting. His self-imposed exile is interesting. It's also interesting that they're feeding him. And clearly this is almost definitely as a direct result of the howler. Yes. uh, Because my memory is that he subsided on cake uh, for quite a while when he wasn't being fed particularly regularly. True. Am I correct that we've only met one phoenix in the story? And that there's almost implication that that one phoenix has been every reference we've had previously to phoenixes in the story? Yes, you would be correct in those things. Like that it's Fox, Mm -hmm. and then Fox can trip, and Fox's tail feathers, the only other mention that we had of phoenixes, are in both of the key wands that we have driving in the story as well. So if you really wanted to, it's really oof rather than oops. (laughs) The Order of Fox. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> that was my question, essentially. Is that Order of the Phoenix is this, is Fox the mascot, essentially? Yeah, I, I guess. It's actually not ever really explicitly discussed. Um, but as you might imagine, Dumbledore is certainly a part of this whole thing. Therefore, Fox is around. I'm just like expecting in the movie that it's just as we're panning through the like the room of their headquarters, there's just a a, a framed picture on the back of the wall <laughs> that nobody acknowledges that just has Fox looking proudly with our founder underneath it or something. So, um, what's the is the dropout rate in Order of the Phoenix pretty high? You know, due to burnout. Oh, uh, 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 uh. Spencer, do you have other questions? <laughs> I had them, and now I don't want to say them. I'm sad now. (laughs) 
Um, so we, we've talked a lot in the past, and I just sort of want to bring it up again as sort of a question, but mostly just something that's interesting. Um, the, the power that Voldemort's name has, mm-hmm. and I guess, so I guess my thinking is evolving a little bit in terms of like what the power of the actual name has, because we have Dumbledore basically saying, no, go ahead and say it because like, if you don't put weight on the name, it doesn't have the, the same power. It doesn't have the power that everybody else puts on mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. so I guess my, my thinking now is that. Voldemort might zero... What? It feels real in a way it didn't before, where previously it was just cultural. Yeah, but it also kind of feels like Voldemort doesn't zero in on Harry saying it. He zeroes in on everybody else, like, freaking out about it. (laughs) And Mm. so, like, if Harry says it alone, he can say it all he wants, and it's kind of meaningless, but other people that, that put this weight on his name are really what draws it in. And so it's like kind of like the the dark mark and everything else where it's it's like what you're doing when it happens and stuff like that that really matters because we have um snape with the dark mark as kind of a a beacon of voldemort's back that he doesn't react to it in the same way presumably that everybody else does Mm -hmm. Mm. but it, it was interesting during that moment of where to see Moody react to it. Of where Moody's been previously pretty unflappable about it, but the fact that he immediately stifles use the name, and I think he's the first one that even does mm-hmm. it, really kind of suggests that, I mean, it's always had hallmarks of, you know, speak of the devil and he is there. And it's really, it feels more active and real rather than just let's not assign that name power. It's like, no, no, this is now a malevolent force in the world and he is actually watching. Yeah, and so this is um, a moment that happens in the kitchen when Harry, they're kind of waiting, I think, for the signals and Harry says mm-hmm. something, Harry says Voldemort's name um, or starts to say it anyway. Yeah, he's about to. And, yeah. and Moody freaks out and everyone freaks out a, a little bit, I guess. Um, but it is it is an interesting moment. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but Moody essentially says, or somebody says something like, we'll talk about this later. Yeah. We're not doing it here. In a protected place yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so this sort of, and I guess sort of the delineation that I imagine Dumbledore has that pretty much no one else has is maybe Dumbledore is never, like, doesn't worry about things in the way that other people do, but it's sort of the, he never believed or was had the fear that that Voldemort was going to take over in a way that other people did and Moody would probably be one that was like fighting in the trenches mm-hmm. and so the terror of it was real in a way that I imagine Dumbledore is just like yeah but I could always like pull something out of a hat and it'll be fine kind of thing uh maybe literally like Godric's sword um but every everybody else other than probably Harry and Dumbledore have a real sense of what this is like. Whereas they are just kind of skating above it all because they're sort of the most powerful people in the world. They have, they have the luxury of indifference. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't, that's, that's an interesting read and I'll be one of the like really fascinating things about this, these later books, this one to some extent, but especially the next book is that we get to spend so much more time with Dumbledore and Mm -hmm. like really evolve theories on what his relationship to Voldemort is and how it came out. Like it's, it's just interesting. Like we, we are still, I think at a point where Dumbledore is kind of this 
cipher figure who comes in and explains things at the end. Although at the at the end of the last book, we did have a, a discussion that I think was was really right about kind of the first time that Dumbledore has been rattled and we've seen him as almost like human mm-hmm. um, as opposed yeah. to just like headmaster Dumbledore who can fix everything. Um, right. God in the machine. Yeah. So I, we're, we're kind of starting down that slope of figuring out like, okay, but what is, what is Dumbledore's actual deal? Yeah. Um, which I, I think, I think you'll both find really, really interesting. I find it fascinating because Dumbledore is a, is a weird cat. I've always liked Dumbledore, but he became his most interesting once there was a level of there was a level of humanity put into him as mm-hmm. well. And so, if we're getting to see more of that, I'm in. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, other questions? No, none at this time. No. Okay, so next time we are going to move on to Chapter Four. Spencer, are you excited uh, to look at the picture? The picture is interesting. <laughs> chapter Four oh, is number twelve. Grimold Grim. Grimold Place. Grimold Place. And now I can't. I've, now I've gotten in my own head about it with Grimold Place. Grimold Place. And what's our picture? Uh, there are a collection of heads mounted on walls like trophies. And I'm, I'm thinking either they are goblins or half el- or house elves. They look a lot like house elves. A they lot look, more like I'm, house elves than one might expect. Uh, they also are lined up on a wall a lot like hunting trophies. Uh, very much mm-hmm. so. Well, that'll uh, be cheery. <laughs> I, I also imagine that they could just be alive and been told to stick their heads there. <laughs> that's just like this is not the worst theory you've ever had. <laughs> I mean, if those are house elves, that's fucked up. Unless BJ's scenario is true, in which case that's hilarious. If they're goblins, that's still messed up. But at least we know they have been a series of goblin revolts in history to provide some degree of I explanation. Guess so. So anyway, that's... Maybe it's basically vending machines. I don't want to ponder that. Let Sarah please exit. Let's stop now. Well, this got weird. <laughs> but y'all, this was a great This was a great chapter. It was a lot of fun talking about it with you. And I am definitely looking forward to the next one. As terrifying as the image now is. It's been fun. Till next time, y'all. <laughs>